0: I've called this sermon A Kingdom Of, and there's a question mark there, because I I, I wonder what, as we entered this church this morning, we would term ourselves as, would it be a a kingdom of believers? Would it be a kingdom of pessimists, or a kingdom of optimists? We live in what we would consider a strange age. When it comes to our perception of the kingdom of God you hear a lot of talk about the fact that church attendances are are dropping and declining year over year. We, we encounter now much more overt um, hostility to Christianity, to our beliefs, to our principles, to our practices, to our desires to reach out into our culture. In fact, I know a story down, it's not a story, it was a fact, uh, uh, down in Fife when one of the pastors tried to start uh, Youth Alpha at the school as part of the whole religious exploration thing. The secular society kicked off and they had to stop it. Now, I think, is a time in our age in which we're facing militant organisations such as the secular society who are determined to stop primarily, almost solely at times, the Christian message. Other religious organisations do not face that same level of scrutiny. So, so uh, there, is a, there is a risk that when we look around our culture today that we could become the kingdom of pessimists. Everything is difficult, everything is hard, we face obstacles here and obstacles there, church attendance is dropping and so on and so on. Even to the latter one, I would actually argue, is it? Is it dropping? Because actually, whilst culture has changed dramatically, once upon a time you went to church because that was what you did. That's what you did. That's what everybody in your town did. But were those churches full of believers? Or full of adherents? Now you'd find very few people that go to church. Just because it sounds like a fun thing to do on Sunday. People go to church now because they believe. Because they believe in Jesus Christ. And they've given their lives to him. So our church attendance (laughs) is the amount of believers in our nation dropping. Or is it the adherents that are dropping? I will leave that one just for you to ponder. But actually when you think about the challenges and the obstacles, none of this is new. The kingdom of God and the world it's been planted in will never be in true harmony until Jesus Christ returns. They will never be in true harmony until Jesus Christ returns. In fact, when you think back to when this kingdom was established, it began with a king who was Crucified who encountered much oppression and hostility because of the message that he'd brought into this world. It began with his followers hunted, and most of them killed and murdered. It began with an empire that would name Christians as the single biggest threat and smear them relentlessly for hundreds of years. Christians, burning Christians, would be that which was inside a sack as as a light for their bull hunting matador festival things. But the burning wasn't wax, the burning was a living and dying Christian who'd refused to renounce their faith. That to me sounds like a pretty big obstacle. And yet, in the midst of that environment, Christianity didn't die, it did quite the reverse, it thrived. And it spread, and it spread, and it spread, and it spread. And I could spend the next 45 minutes saying it spread and I wouldn't be over-exaggerating precisely what it actually did. (coughs) That's what it did. And it began in that environment. And when you consider that and then contrast it to our environment here in Scotland, actually the obstacles maybe don't quite seem so big they maybe don't quite seem so scary maybe don't quite seem so difficult for the truth is there's almost no scenario at this point in time in which any of us will be asked to give our lives for Jesus in the UK or our freedom for Jesus in the UK now we might be mocked we might be sneered at we might be told we believe in the tooth fairy and fairy tales and when are we going to grow up and grow out of it But that's actually as difficult as it gets for us yet so often I feel we react defensively because we buy into this narrative that actually what is happening when we face this persecution, when we face this difficulty is that somehow the kingdom of God is receding, and somehow the kingdom of God is shrinking back and the kingdom of the enemy is growing and beginning to triumph over it. We, we, we subliminal, subliminally buy in to that and we react I think and sometimes in ways as if we need to defend the kingdom, as if we need to protect the kingdom. The king is no longer the mighty saviour sitting enthroned in heaven who reigns at God right hand but he's the one that needs our help. We need to pick up the sword to defend him and we need to bat back all these attacks to defend Jesus and as I've lived with these parables this week I've realised actually that's not the case at all the kingdom of God doesn't need us to defend it The kingdom of God, from the moment that Jesus was born and set foot and proclaimed the message is a kingdom that is destined and will, without any question or doubt, triumph. It will be victorious. No matter what it might feel like at the moment, there is one and perhaps only one thing I can assure you of this morning. That is you are on the winning side. You are on the winning side. Jesus is Lord. He does reign. His kingdom will grow. And regardless of what we think of the threats to it at this time, they are nothing in comparison to the king and his power. So what are we a kingdom of this morning? Because what these parables push us towards is to be a kingdom of believers, a kingdom of optimists, a kingdom of people that know that the kingdom that we have been drawn into through the grace of God is a kingdom that is powerful, a kingdom that will triumph, and a kingdom that will keep on growing. Do we believe that? So let's have a little look at what's going on in our verses this morning. I've got some snazzy wee effects for you this morning. You started getting a real treat. So the first thing I want us to realize is that, that there is a revelation element to this, okay? And, and I'm focusing here very much on the lamp under the basket. Now, there's all sorts of interesting interpretations given to this. But I think one of the core things that is going on here is Jesus picking up. And we didn't really touch on this last last time. Um, if you go back up to verse 12. So that indeed they may see, but not perceive, but indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Jesus there was speaking about his use of parables and how parables share a truth, but they don't just lay that truth out. They're, they're, they're a story. Mm-hmm. And that story hides part of the truth. But now when you see him in verse 21, he's saying, "...is a lamp bought to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For, and hear this, "...but nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret." except to come to light. So actually what we're seeing here is that when Jesus is using these parables and obscuring the meaning, actually the blatant meaning of the kingdom to a degree, actually the only people that this would repel, and if you think again of the parable of the sower, are the ones who are hard of heart. It will weed away the ones who have absolutely no interest in the message of Jesus, who will be quick to dismiss it. To others, to those who are, whose hearts are seeking, the parables would function almost like a, a, a riddle, almost like an itch that they, they need to scratch, that's something they're going to ponder and they're going to wrestle with. But all will ultimately be revealed because the kingdom isn't actually hidden, not truly. And it it's obscure to a degree in the strategy that Jesus is using here. But it's not to repel people and keep people away. Actually, what you're seeing here is, that, is the method that Jesus is using, well, yes, it will weed away those whose hearts aren't open. But those whose hearts are open, they will keep on seeking. The intention of the parables isn't simply to close the door but to weed out, mm-hmm. to allow actually those who want to dismiss everything that Jesus has said to walk away. So it's no surprise then that what Jesus is saying is if anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. For the parables are about actually listening, truly listening, hearing what Jesus is actually saying. And then Jesus reinforces that in verse 24, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and still more will be added to you. So he's saying to them here, basically, pay attention to what I'm saying. It sounds so very simple, doesn't it? But actually listening is almost a lost art if it ever was one that humanity had hold of. Because people are very quick to dismiss. And we see that in our culture, I think, so prominently. If if anything is said, that doesn't fit somebody's worldview or narrative. It's literally, fake news, move on. (laughs) You, You see almost the exact same thing in these verses as well. So for people who didn't want to hear, who didn't want to listen, they wouldn't hear. But if you wanted to hear, if you wanted to listen, pay attention. Hear, let those who have ears hear. They will find something within that. Those with the seeking hearts will find it because the kingdom isn't hidden to keep people away. It's ultimately obscured a little bit, so that it can be found. That is what's going on here, and you see, there's the, there's the element of revelation in what's going on here. To those who seek, who listen. And Jesus says, for the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has who has not, even what he has will be taken away again. For the one in whom that revelation has come and they they understand the kingdom, they understand what Jesus is saying abundant blessings will be given, abundant knowledge, abundant everything will be given to that person. They will find truth that was one's missing they will find a king who showers the mysteries of heaven upon them and so much more. They will find their identity as a child of God their call as a follower of Jesus Christ and citizenship and his kingdom. They will find all of that and so much more. So much more. Because they found the one who is the way, the truth and the life. They will find all of that in this one. You know, one of the things, I'm not an arty farty kind of person. You, you, that probably doesn't surprise you, okay? To me, like, rock music's beautiful art, okay? Give me a good guitar solo any day of the week. Right? But, one, one, one form of painting that really fascinates me is oil paintings. I find oil paintings really fascinating because, you know, if you go really close to an oil painting, you, you, you see nothing. You look around and there's nothing really to it. It's just marks and swipes and colours. But when you step back, there, there is almost this revelation moment because you see... You see the art, you see see the beauty of the picture, you see what it's intended to communicate, you see what its meaning is. And if it's a decent oil paint and you think, wow, that's remarkable, how could somebody do that with?" when you step close, it's just a bunch of swipes? But yet they can, and they do, and it's absolutely phenomenal. And I think the the kingdom of God and what the parables are doing is a lot like that. They're they're revealing details, they're revealing glimpses, and for the one that really seeks and the one that looks for that picture, that big picture, they will find it. They will find that God, they will find his kingdom, and they will become part of it. They They will find that moment of revelation in which all of a sudden they know for sure that Jesus Christ is Lord we've had that moment ourselves generally it's when we have our conversion experience for those like myself because I grew up as heathen um, and completely unchurched so um, I know very clearly when my conversion moment was but there was that moment that light switch on and yes I was seeking before that because God had been planting various different seeds Um, but when that moment came all became so clear and I knew who Jesus was. Not entirely and completely of course but enough to be those who say Jesus Christ is my Lord and my Saviour. The same would be the experience of the people whose ears are listening, who are paying attention and whose hearts are seeking because that touches directly into the previous parable of the seeds. It's the hearts that are open The hearts are open that will receive that word with joy and bear much fruit. And that's the very people that these parables are hunting for. So there's a revelation element to these parables. They're intended to niggle at people's hearts, to niggle at their intellect. And to just, for those who are genuinely seeking to give them enough information to help them find the truth, the truth of this kingdom that God has planted right here in this world. But Jesus doesn't just speak about, about, the, about finding a kingdom. He speaks as well about a growing kingdom. And, and this is one of the things that, that, that challenged me quite a lot as I was pondering these verses. This isn't some weak kingdom that God has planted here in this earth. This is his kingdom by his power in which we become his children living by his power. This is the sovereign God who has done this. So I, I just want to, to remind us again that that, that seed that's scarred is where Mark 4 begins as Jesus speaks about the, the various conditions of the human heart and how they respond to the word when it is received. For many it is rejected, or it is stolen away, or it is choked out by the cares of this world. But for those with open hearts, it can be received with joy, and it can grow, and it can flourish, and it can be fruitful, it can bring a harvest. And as I said last week, we can't know anybody's hearts. And I think, as Christians, we can be prone to almost doing a heart assessment for those that um, we, we, we think... Have you ever used that phrase... I would love for them to become a Christian. They would make a great Christian. What we're doing there is kind of making a heart assessment. Yeah, that person holds the virtues that I think would make a great Christian. So it would be great if they would actually become one. But do we ever say that about, about people who are drug addicts, or homeless people, or <coughs> politicians, or bankers? Or any of these kind of people. You see, what we do is, we, is we're trying to assess somebody's heart and we think, yeah, I've got this. They would they, they make a good Christian. Them, well, I'm not going to pray for them. Uh, but I pray for this person because I think they'll make a great Christian. We're, we're trying to assess somebody's heart. Actually, what you see in these verses, this is it's not uh, the first verses in, in Mark 4, is it's not up to us to work out the condition of somebody's heart. The seed goes everywhere. It's scattered everywhere. And the response of somebody's heart to God is ultimately between them and God. That's not our remit. So when Jesus is here speaking about um, the, the, the parable of the growing seed, he's very much beginning to, to touch again. There's lots of agricultural parables in this chapter. And what, what this, is, this is, this is a remarkably positive and encouraging parable because this is a parable which speaks about the natural growth of the kingdom, a kingdom that is here, that is intended to grow in our hearts and in this world not through desperate endeavour but because that is how God has decreed it will be it is his decree, he has set up his kingdom and empowered it to grow that's what it's meant to do. So it's an encouraging one because what we've got here is a kingdom that is intended to grow. It grows and grows in the hearts of people and around this world. And this growth isn't merely through the, the desperate work of people, although that of course is part of it because somebody is scattering the seed. It simply happens much like crops grow in the ground. I I think that we we do a bit of care to crops in the ground you you water them and plant the stuff over them which makes uh, everywhere else smell for about 100 miles around Um, but ultimately it grows because that's what it does, a seed grows because it was designed to, that's what it does that's what it does the kingdom grows because it's been designed to It grows by the power of God. It grows because he intended it to grow. And I think what we need to realise here is one of the things we might think, but look, look at our churches, look at the culture we're in. It doesn't look like the kingdom's growing. The kingdom of God has always found itself in cultures that are hostile to it. Because there is no culture on this earth that is in entire harmony with the kingdom of God. Because Jesus isn't back. The kingdom of God is always planted into cultures and nations and places and spaces that will be out of harmony with it and sometimes outright hostile towards it. But it grows because that's what it's designed to do. Because that's what God is doing with it and I think that's important for us to hear because do we believe that do we believe that And that doesn't mean by the way that we can do whatever we like and live as we please because well God's going to grow his kingdom whether we live like Christians or not whether we evangelize or not or do anything or not that all of a sudden we are completely entirely irrelevant to it, no not at all God as we said last time draws us in, we become participants in his mission and what he's doing in this world and he uses us as part of that growth that he is doing in this world but what it does mean is that we can be optimistic about the reign of God in this world we can be optimistic about the power of his kingdom and how it will touch our nation and what it does mean as well is that there's going to be a harvest that element of fruitfulness is there once again The great harvest will be the result of this kingdom. It's a kingdom that was designed and set up to produce that fruit and to produce that harvest. Now that might mean people, of course. But I think also we've got to recognise that that means fruit, I think, as well. It's the result of our lives as part of this kingdom. We are to produce the fruit. that is is consistent with that kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all other things will be added to you. We are part, our lives are part of the fruit, the harvest of that kingdom. What we do, how we live, what we say is part of the fruit and the glory of that kingdom. We are participants in God's mission and we mustn't Value what that means. But you also see that this is a kingdom as well that is underestimated. And this, we look to the parable of the mustard seed. Now, a mustard seed is small. It's tiny. Really, really small seed. In fact, you would consider it something irrelevant, really. Hardly worth any attention. Yet it grows bigger than some seeds that are far larger than it some seeds you would consider would be much more worth planting. Now we've got to understand Jesus isn't making absolute statements about the, about the size of the seed or, this, or the tree. He's using imagery here to, to make a very clear point. His point is that something so very, very small grows. And in the case of the mustard seed, it grows a vast amount once planted. And you can see the connection from that to the previous parables that Jesus has already been teaching. This kingdom will grow, even from small things to big things, and it will happen. (laughs) It will produce a harvest that might be entirely unexpected. In fact, when you think of the early church, as I said at the beginning, it was persecuted, but it kept on growing. And when you think about the persecuted church in most of the nations that it finds itself in today, it is persecuted. But guess what? It keeps on growing. Persecution doesn't stamp out the church. In fact, I think it refines it and makes it a bigger problem than what they maybe thought it was going to be. The kingdom of God grows and it flourishes even in the most hostile of environments. So why shouldn't it here? Why shouldn't it with us? Why shouldn't we see Scotland touched again for God? We sung at the start, we want to see Jesus lifted high, a banner that flies across this land, that all men might see the truth and know he is the way to heaven. Let's be optimists who believe in the power of that kingdom and expect that would indeed be the case because let's be honest we can underestimate God we can underestimate his power we can underestimate his grace we can underestimate his love we can underestimate his plans for this nation so I would bet we can't overestimate them I bet we can't dream bigger than him I bet we can't overestimate what he can do here so which shall we be? because here's the thing Mustard Seed is small the disciples they want it big They wanted beg. They wanted a Jesus who was going to be coming in and challenging. They wanted beg and grand. They wanted the Romans driven out. They wanted Jesus enthroned. They wanted battle and victory, victory and glory and power. And they wanted it all as soon as they possibly could get it. Small wasn't part of their thinking. Certainly not at this point. And that's part of the reason I think that Jesus is saying this. Their view would have been the grander, the better glory to God. And oftentimes we can see that very same mentality flowing through the church today. So I want to, this is the final question I'm going to ask. Do we despise the small things? Do we despise the small things? It's about the big things, the big things that will glorify God. Do not see the authentic kingdom power that dwells within the small as well. Small things can become big things. Let me apply this slightly differently. What do you see your role? What do you see your role and your value as within the kingdom of God? What do you see your role and value as in the kingdom of God? Do you see yourself as worth much and therefore Feel God will do things through you, or worth little, and therefore believe little will come through you. See, this parable screams and roars at that type of thinking. It says that God can even take our small things, no matter how meager they might be, even if they're the size of a mustard seed. And grow something great and mighty out of them. So I want to finally apply this to us personally to close this morning. This week, hear the truths of this. Go into your week, even if you know you can offer God, or you feel you can offer God very little. Because the situations you go into, you can't necessarily be massively aware. Go into those situations believing that God will welcome even the little we can offer him. And that he can take that little and he can make it something mighty. Know that he is with you. That he is in you. And that this kingdom power isn't merely thrown through the people that we have deemed fruitful and spectacular and valuable but it's flowing through each and every one of us too. What can we offer God this week? Well, we can start with our lives and see where it goes from there. But even if we get to the end of the week and we feel, God, I've only been able to offer you very little. God can do much with little. You can make it big. You can make it astonishing. You can make it grow and grow and grow. But I feel that if we don't believe that, if we just simply go into a weak feeling we have nothing and therefore we are nothing for the kingdom, we're going to miss that. We are something. We're children of God. And his power is in each of us. That's one of the reasons I keep asking that question, what are you doing tomorrow at 11 a.m.? And it's amazing I'm getting answers to that question now. But one of the reasons I ask it is because we go into our week and our weeks are busy, our weeks are hard. We've got lots going on, we're meeting lots of people, we're trying to do multiple different things, but we do it all, all as citizens of the kingdom of God. Ambassadors for our King. And we might get to the end of a really busy week or even a grueling week and feel we're on our knees and feel a sense of guilt because God, I've not actually been able to offer you all that much at all. But this parable reminds us that even when we can offer very little, God can take that and make it something mighty. And even when we can offer God a lot, I would say, humble yourself because it's his power that will inspire anything that we can offer. We are his people. So we go from this place as positive people because we know the truth of the kingdom. Jesus reigns. He is Lord. And his kingdom it's designed to grow. And we believe that it will in Scotland. We believe that it will in Ellen, in Pitt Medan, in New Pits Ligo, in New Deer, and wherever else we've come from.